Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. So powerful. I love this day. How many of y'all love this day? Yeah. Right? I love everything about Easter and uh, there's a there's a way that we greet one another in Christian history. It goes back 2,000 years, all the way to the early days of the Christian church. One believer would say, Christ is risen. The other one would say, he is risen indeed. Millions around the world are going to be saying it today. So we're going to do it right now. I'll say Christ is risen. You'll say he is risen indeed. And we're going to say it with conviction. We're going to say it with meaning. We're going to say it like we believe it. Y'all ready? Yeah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes. I love it. Today we celebrate and declare that a resurrection took place. The story centers around he's dead, but he's no longer dead. He's not dead. He's not here. He is risen. One of my favorite stories about my son Grayson happened a number of years ago. He was probably, I don't know, two years old and in the middle of the night, he was supposed to be uh, sleeping, of course, and he got out of bed. He decided that he wanted a snack. So he went downstairs. He got into one of the cabinets, got out a big bowl, like a big popcorn bowl, like one of those huge bowls. And then he went over. Now, again, it's 2.30 in the morning. It's completely dark. And he's like two or three years old. He goes to the cabinet. He looks and he finds the box of Fruit Loops. And he proceeds to pour the box uh, of Fruit Loops into his big bowl. And then he decides to come upstairs and let me know that he was having a snack. So he came in our room. I was asleep. I was unaware when he woke me up of all that he'd been up to. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm hungry. And so I said, no, just get in bed. Let's get in bed. Went back to sleep. I went back to sleep. It wasn't until morning when I realized all that had happened. I went downstairs. First of all, I saw this bowl of Fruit Loops sitting next to me in my bed. And I'm like, what is that about? I go downstairs. There's bowls all over the floor. He was, he was trying to figure out which one was the right bowl. And he picked the biggest one as you should. And so then he goes, and then I see the, the Fruit Loops box sitting mysteriously into, in the center of the kitchen floor. And it was at that point I realized something. He had risen. He had risen indeed. <laughs> Sorry. Church jokes are the best jokes. Today we're in week number 20 of our series called The Book of Life, Miracles Everywhere. Everyone say miracles everywhere. Miracles. The story of Jesus is one miracle after another. And today we get to the miracle of all miracles. Today we come to Luke chapter 24, and it is about the resurrection of Jesus. And I cannot express to you the tremendous and monumental significance that this moment, the account of the resurrection has. To the, the story and the declaration of a, rex, as a, excuse me, of a resurrection is not just a feature of Christianity. It is its essential truth. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus does not uh, serve as some final chapter to an interesting life. It's not some, you know, happily ever after, everyone wins in the end kind of story. No, there is a definite winner and a clear loser, right? The enemy and death loses, Jesus wins, God wins, and you and I win. How many know you have victory in Jesus today? And so the resurrection, the resurrection is the end game. It's the end goal. It's the ultimate purpose. It's the objective and the entire reason that Jesus came. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ has not been raised, 
then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Whoa. Everyone say useless. useless. Hope you weren't looking at your neighbor. <laughs> but listen to this. Without the resurrection, <laughs> there is no point to all of this. It's useless. Without the resurrection, the Bible, Jesus, the church, it's all lies. But with the resurrection... It becomes the way, the truth, and the life. It becomes everything. Today, I've titled this message, God's Not Done Yet. And before you leave and you get out of here and you go have some Easter ham or you go hunt eggs or you regret eating a Cadbury cream egg, whatever it is you do today, I want you to know, I want you to, I want you to hear something, that God is not done yet. And he has something for you today. I really, truly believe that he does. Have you ever thought something was done just to realize, hmm, nope, <laughs> not yet. That's not quite done. For example, have you ever been to a basketball game or a football game? You think it's over. And then all of a sudden, at the last minute, something crazy happens to reverse the outcome. You know what I'm talking about? One of the greatest sports comebacks I ever saw was when I was a teenager in 1995. The New York Knickerbockers were playing against the Indiana Pacers. With seconds remaining, a guy named Reggie Miller, who played for the Pacers, proceeded to score eight points in 8.9 seconds. It was ridiculous. He hit a three, then he stole the inbound pass. He hit another three. Then the Knicks, they miss a shot. They foul Reggie Miller. He hits two free throws to go up by two, and they win the game. Eight points in 8.9 seconds is crazy. Don't you know, though, don't you know there were a few people who thought with one or two minutes left in the game, ah, eh, this one's over. Let's beat traffic and get out of here. And they left early and missed the miracle. How many know that happened? I got one other example. I've been told in preaching class, don't give sports analogies because a lot of people don't like sports, but I'm going to give you one more. The craziest play to end the game I've ever seen, 1982, before most of you were born, for a few of us were, we, some of us were born. I didn't really see this until I got older, so if you know that's got this game, good for you. You're one of the older people in the room. 1982, Stanford playing the University of California, the wildest thing I've ever seen. A play like this never happens. The guy kicks off and there's laterals across the field. You don't understand how crazy this is to make this many perfect laterals. All of a sudden, something breaks loose. Everybody's thinking this could never, ever happen. You know who doesn't believe it could ever happen? The band never believes it could have happened. The band is on the field. They think this game's over. But guess what? Guess what? Cal wins the game. The band thought it was over. No one thought it was possible. But how many of you know that the only time a miracle happens is when no one thinks it's possible. Come on. Come on. Everyone thinks it's over. They won this game. It's the craziest play ever, right? Can I tell you though, this happens in our faith so often. Some people left that game early thinking it was over and they missed the miracle. Can I tell you about how we do this in our faith today? Can I tell you about it? Thank you for talking. We get so close, but then we check out early when we miss the miracle. We're standing on the edge of a breakthrough and we give up. We stop praying 
we turn around, we head back to something that's familiar and safe. We might quit on God, we might quit on church, we might quit on someone who's telling us how to live our life and we think, no, 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 I know better and we quit right when we're at the edge of a breakthrough. I've encouraged us with this thought before when it comes to prayer and I'll put it on screen. And it's kind of connected to the card that was in your seat, but it says this, if you're discouraged in prayer about the things that God's not done yet, just remember God's not done yet. So we gotta keep praying, we gotta keep trusting, and we gotta keep contending. We just finished seven days of nonstop prayer. We had over 150 people in this room, and some who are not here today for whatever reason, but they came in and they prayed this week. One hour shifts, nonstop, 24 hours a day for the last seven days. And I'm so proud of our church. I'm so proud of what God's doing in this place. Keep seeking God. Keep going after it. Keep declaring the kingdom come, the will be done of God. We've been praying for this day, believing that God wants to touch people's lives, that God wants to do things that only he can do. So the reason we do nonstop, these stints of nonstop prayer in our church is because sometimes you just got to keep praying. You got to keep trusting. You got to keep contending. So with that said, are you all with me today? Are you all ready to go? Okay, you ready to get into God's word? All right, here we go, good. Let's get deep into the story of the resurrection because without it, all of this is useless. Chapter 24, verse one of, of Luke, we're in the book of Luke. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. The women were taking spices. Everyone say spices. spices. They're taking spices to the tomb. They were going there to give Jesus the proper burial he deserved. What they weren't able to do on Friday, they had to finish up on Sunday because in between was the Sabbath. They had to stop working. So they were coming in early on Sunday morning, the third day, and they were going to the tomb expecting to find a corpse. They weren't expecting a miracle. They weren't expecting a resurrection. The reason they're bringing the spices is to prepare Jesus' body for his burial. They expected to be, for Jesus to be dead like he was dead when they saw him on Friday. But what did they find? Verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. This is the angels of the Lord. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has Remember how he told you? I want you to remember this. He says, remember how he told you he was while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day he'd be raised again. And then they're like, oh yeah, he did say that. <laughs> in preparing the sermon, this moment struck me. I'm like, they're walking on the third day with a bunch of spices because they're expecting a corpse. They're expecting nothing but death. They believe Jesus is done. They love Jesus. They're going to see him. They're going to prepare for him because they love him, but they aren't expecting a miracle. All they're expecting is death. How many of you guys, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Everybody say death right now. That's a great word to say, right? That's what they were expecting. They're expecting death. They thought Jesus was done. Something is going on here in, these story, in the story with these early disciples that I want to get into because it shows me something that 
feels very familiar. How do I approach Jesus? Today, tomorrow, what am I, what am I expecting from Jesus? Verse nine. When the women came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 disciples and to all the others. There was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But the apostles, they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. They didn't believe. The first response from those who were closest to Jesus about the news of what he said he would do on the third day, they believed, no way, no how. That's a bunch of nonsense. They initially doubt the story. Everyone say doubt. They doubted it. There's another story in Luke chapter 24 that continues to give us insight into these early believers in this whole resurrection thing. Luke 24, 13. Now that same day, as in Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were leaving Jerusalem, heading back. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Lucky but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you guys discussing together as you walk along? And they stood, stood still with their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas, great name, future parents. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? I'll stop there. This couple is leaving Jerusalem, heading towards Emmaus. Probably it's where they live. They had been with the disciples in Jerusalem, we assume this, but they are leaving because they think it's over. Their faces are downcast. They are disappointed. Everyone say disappointed. Jesus isn't what they hoped for. Jesus died. They were devastated. Listen, in some ways, I get it. What happened was a tragedy. What happened was overwhelming. But Jesus had said multiple times, hey, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. But these two, they don't even wait to the end of the third day before they head home. They're like, they wake up in the morning like, guys, we got, we got a seven-mile walk. I think we're going to go ahead and head out. And the women are like, oh, no worries. We got these spices anyway. We got to go take over to Jesus and we're going to finish things up there. And the apostles are like, I don't care whatever you want to do. Just lock the door on your way out. If you know the word, they were behind locked doors. Hmm. What is happening here? No one was expecting anything on the third day. They believed Jesus was done. But how many know that God's not done yet? He's not done in this story, and he's not done in your story. That dream, it's not done. It's not dead. That marriage isn't dead. That friendship isn't gone. That hope you're disappointed about, it isn't lost. The disappointment you face today, that disappointment is understood by God, and he wants to walk with you in that disappointment. God's not done yet. Everyone thought Jesus was done except one group of people. Y'all ready for this? One group of people. In the account of Matthew, it says that the Jewish leadership, the people that hated Jesus, who took him to the cross, they took extreme measures to make sure 
that no resurrection or staged resurrection took place. Check this out. Matthew 27, we're going over to the book of Matthew, verse 62. The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. Wait, we got to hold up. They remembered. His enemies remembered about the whole third day thing. I'm not talking about the band. They remembered. The enemies remembered. The disciples forgot. What is happening? Seriously. So give the order. This is what they say. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he, was, he had been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. And I want to be like, hey, Pharisees, don't even worry about it. They're taking spices to the tomb. They've completely forgot. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Pilate's involved in this again. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. That's extreme, right? He wants that tomb on lockdown. So they went out, made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now, don't you know that it would be unusual to guard a tomb? For a lot of reasons. First of all, it would be very unusual for a Roman guard to guard a Jewish citizen's tomb. Yet, and usually I don't think you have to guard dead people. But in this case, Pilate understood something was different about this man, that he was no ordinary man. Pilate was there, right, when Jesus was crucified on the cross and the lights went out in Jerusalem. He remembered that. He felt the ground shake. He knew things were not normal. He knew that there was chaos coming about in the city and there was a lot going on. And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. Put a guard on that tomb. Put a guard on that tomb because I, I don't know what's about to happen. Early the next morning, those guards experienced the shock and the awe of the resurrection. I wish we could hear their account. Matthew 28, 2 says this, There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. And the guards, they were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. As you do when angels show up. Verses later... A few verses later, the guards come out of their dead man, Jesus coma, and they told everyone what had happened. Verse 11 of the book of Matthew, or excuse me, 20, 28 verse 11, yeah. The guards went into the city. They reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priest has met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. They like to pay people off, don't they? Telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole away his body while we, while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, he will, it will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. All right, so I want you to consider a few things. In this account, it doesn't seem that the Jewish leadership seems to doubt the story of the guards. They aren't saying, no, 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 that never happened. There's no indication that they doubted the story. We have to assume they must have believed the story to be true. So you have the disciples doubting, and you have the enemies believing, which reminds me of a verse that says that even the, the, excuse me, even the demons believe and shudder. Did you know that the Jewish leadership, they never questioned or denied the miracles of Jesus? 
I think that's interesting. They questioned different people. They inquired more information. But at the end of all of any investigation, they never said those miracles weren't true. They, they never did. Now, they complained about when he did his miracles. Don't do miracles on the Sabbath. They complained about, you know, hey, do miracles when we say, show us a sign right now. They were always upset about how and when he did his miracles, but they never refuted his miracles. There was just too many witnesses to what had happened. And in fact, many of them had witnessed it themselves. So they never actually denied the miracles of Jesus. They just weren't happy that he wouldn't come under their rule and reign. So they're certainly worried that this whole resurrection thing might have some truth to it. Until he, I mean, there was this realization for them that he had actually already resurrected people anyway. So when the guards told them the story, they weren't all that surprised. The disciples said, nonsense. The Jewish leaders said, uh-oh, uh-oh. This thing may be real. So what do they do? They make up a lie for the soldiers to tell. Why do you tell lies? To cover up the truth. They had no other option but to pay the guards and to lie. Don't you know that all you have to do to bring down Christianity is to bring down the resurrection? Prove it to be a hoax, a fraud, a lie. But no one has ever been able to do that. There are people that deny it, but no one's been able to prove that it didn't happen. Not in the beginning, not the Jewish leadership, not the Romans, not throughout history. There is no clear evidence shown to refute the accounts and testimonies that kept pouring out of the resurrected Jesus. Their efforts to pay off the Roman guards failed in the end. The resurrection power has pierced through their lies and pierced through history, solidifying the foundation that millions of people have stood upon as the truth of the gospel that Jesus is alive. Do you understand that? This is why Paul writes in Romans 10:9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation comes by believing in the resurrection. Are you starting to understand the gospel a little bit more? Here's the thing. We are all guilty, destined for eternal death, but through the innocent life of Jesus, we've been set free and given the gift of eternal life only found through Christ Jesus. I can't say that truth enough. But this morning, we can't overlook something. We can't overlook the fact that initially the disciples thought it was over. This reality is striking because this is us. This is his church. This is his people. The women with the spices, the, the disciples, the two on the road to Emmaus, they all thought it was over, and they all called it quits early. And this was all happening on the third day, the day Jesus said, hey, everybody, on the third day, don't worry, I'm going to rise again. And so on that Sunday morning, none of those disciples woke up, started stirring the room and saying, hey, guys, get up. It's the third day. It's the third day. No one did it. The two going home from Emmaus, they headed home right before the miracle. It's like the person who leaves the game early, two minutes early. If I'm sitting next to someone who does that, I'm happy because I'm like, oh, you're about to miss it. If you're leaving early, that means something great's about to happen. How many know that it's the potential for the miracle is the reason to stay in the game? But as people, you and me, human beings, we are predispositioned to doubt 
disappointment, and to believe things are dead way too early. But how many know that God's not done yet? After his resurrection, Jesus goes to all these believers who are struggling. I want you to think about this moment. Jesus defeats death, and immediately he goes to his followers who were struggling in disappointment, doubt, and the belief that things were dead. He goes to them because he's always concerned about us. He's always compassionate for his followers, and he's always a teacher. He goes to the women with the spices. Check this out. Matthew 28, 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and, he, and ran to tell his disciples. So they're running off. Suddenly, guess what? Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Jesus shows up to the women who thought he was dead, and he said, look, I'm not dead, I'm alive. And here's the thing, I don't want you to be afraid because I won, and guess what? You win too. Then the disciples who doubted, those nonsense guys, the disciples, Luke 24, verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. He didn't dismiss them because they doubted. Instead, he drew near to them and spoke peace over them. He showed them the holes in his hands and said, you can touch me. I'm real and I'm for you. To the, to the two walking to Emmaus. Luke 24, 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. I love this. This is so good. Jesus wasn't disappointed in their disappointment. Instead, he walked with them in their disappointment. I wonder who needs Jesus to come alongside you and walk with you in the things you've been disappointed about. I just want to, I want to make sure you catch this. Three things that I just said. I'll put them on the screen, but Jesus will walk with those who are disappointed. I know that the church and this world is full of people who feel disappointed. We're disappointed about how life has gone. We're, how our plans have worked out, what our big dreams were disappointed in ourselves, disappointed in how we've lived out our faith, disappointed, maybe you're even disappointed in God. And Jesus looks at everyone who's disappointed and says, I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you. I'll take the time to walk with you. Number two, Jesus will draw near to those who are filled with doubts. Again, the church and the world is full of people who have all sorts of doubts. Doubts in their faith, doubts in God, doubts in yourself, doubts that God cares, doubts that God loves you, doubt that God knows you and that he sees you. So many of us struggle with forms of doubt, not only about God, but in ourselves. We live 
on the daily with this sense of imposter syndrome that nobody really understands me, that, I, that if I ever get found out and they see that I'm just a fraud, that I'm a fake, that I'm ill-equipped, that I don't belong, that I can't even do what I'm supposed to do like they think I can, I'm just a fake. That's what we live with. We doubt ourselves. We doubt ourselves around every corner. And God is saying, listen, I will come to you in your doubts, even about yourself, and I will breathe peace over you. Amen. Jesus will come to those and breathe life into people who have called things dead that are not dead, called people in situations and relationships dead that are not dead. The church is full of resurrection potential, meaning all sorts of things that have been declared dead, people that you've lost hope on, situations that you've lost hope on. It's the power of Jesus that can bring it back to life. Maybe your spiritual life has felt dead. It's not dead. It's not dead. God's not done with you yet. Jesus can breathe life. Listen, we can't quit early. Some of us are just way too close. We can't leave the game early. Some of you at one time were close to God, and, but you've checked out. It's, I just want you to know it's not too late to come back to him. Some of you have that testimony. You checked out, but now you're back. And you can tell that story. God's not done with me yet. I thought he was, but he's not. Don't stop praying or believing for the miracle. Maybe you've prayed for weeks or months or years. We can't quit asking God or seeking God or chasing God. And I want to say something about that because that's not demanding God. That's depending on him. Sometimes we get all worked up with our prayers saying, I don't want to demand from God. And I'm saying, listen, listen, we can certainly mess up and do that. But if I ask God again and again for something, sometimes it's because he's the only one I can ask to do it because he's the only one able to do it. And so I only ask because I believe God is able, because I believe God can do anything. And so I don't demand God. I depend on him. Are you all with me? We keep asking. We don't quit we believe he's able. So what's the miracle that you're about to give on? What's the doubt that you're about to quit on God? What's the thing that God said, I want you to keep going in? What's the disappointment you've allowed to take over your heart? What do you need Jesus to breathe life into? What situation or person or relationship? I love the worship song, Miracle in the Works. We're about to sing it in a minute. In a minute. Because it's true for us today, God's not done yet. There are miracles in the works right in this room. There are miracles in the works for our families, for our loved ones, those suffering around the world. Don't quit. Don't give up God or on God because just when you think Jesus is done, <laughs> he breathes life. God is healer, restorer, forgiver, miracle worker. Not every miracle not every miracle is earth-shaking. Not everyone is a supernatural, crazy event. Sometimes the miracle is Jesus come alongside you and walking with you in your disappointment. Sometimes it's Jesus healing your heart of a pain that no one even knows about. But he knows about it. I'm about done. But I was praying earlier this week and I thought, and a thought came to my heart. Maybe it's kind of random for you, but I want to share it anyway. What would, and this is the thought that came to my heart, and I wrote it down. What would I say if I weren't trying to impress people 
or if I weren't worried about what others thought, but what's in my heart right now? And I wrote a few things down, and I just thought I'd read, read them to you. I think I'd say we need to put God first in our lives, in all things, like everything. I'd say I'm working on that too, and it's very difficult. It's hard. I still have a long ways to go in this, but we need to make God first and stop letting the world lead us and tell us who to be. I'd say we need to have faith that's willing to ask God to do miraculous things in our life and in this world for the sake of others, not just for the sake of ourselves. I know a lot of us struggle and we try to do life on our own. But miracles are normal in God's kingdom. So we just need to ask him for the things that are normal. I'd say to you, if you're not saved, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to be and you need to be. I'd say if you don't, I would say that you don't have to do life alone if you're trying to. I'd say all of us need the church. It's essential to who we are and what God wants to do in our life. Church isn't an optional thing or an add-on or a social club. I'd say God loves you even if you don't know if you love him. God loves you even if you don't know if you love yourself. I'd say sometimes I feel ill-equipped and unfit for what I do as a husband, a father, and a pastor, but praise be to God, praise be to God that he helps us with those things because I know we all feel that at times. I'd say God's healing is possible for you. I'd say God's power is right next to you. I'd say nothing is more important than God and his way. I'd say there's no greater joy than pursuing Jesus. There's, no, there's nothing more satisfying than teaching your kids to love Jesus. I'd say we should praise him more. We should love him more. We should trust him more. Those are just a few of the things I'd say. I just want you to hear these things today because I just want you to know that you have a God in heaven who loves you. He loves everything about you. He sees you. He understands your doubts, your disappointments, even the things that you've lost hope in. And he just wants to remind you that just because you're discouraged by what God's not done yet, just remember God's not done yet. I want you to grab this card. Grab this card and on the back it says this. It says, to all the doubts, disappointments, and death, Jesus says God's not done yet. So what do you need Jesus to breathe life into? What do you need Jesus to breathe life into? I want to pray for us and I want to help you answer that question today. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we give you this time and as we bow our heads, I just want to create a few moments of quiet a space for us to consider what do you need Jesus to breathe life into? Is it a disappointment? Is it a doubt? Is it something that feels dead? Come Holy Spirit, speak right now. I, I, even in your own heart, say, Lord, I want you to speak to me right now. What do I need Jesus to breathe life into? I'm actually just gonna be quiet for just a moment as you consider that question. What do you need Jesus to breathe life into? God's not done. He's not done with them. He's not done with you. He breathes life. There's hope. Some of you need hope today. There's more. You haven't experienced it all. You're older than you're older and you think you've figured it all out, but I'm telling you, there's more. God's not done. Maybe you've prayed a hundred times, but God's not done. Maybe you've 
been hurt by the church too many times, but God's not done. You're not sure if you love him or her anymore, but I'm just telling you, God's not done. Maybe you're not sure if you'll, if you'll ever be forgiven by them, but God's not done. Maybe life has been a disappointment, but God's not done. Maybe life has been one hard thing after another. I'm just telling you, God's not done. Maybe you want to break that addiction. God's not done. Maybe you want to experience his healing, his power. Maybe you want to see revival. God's not done. With everybody's heads bowed, I believe there are some in the room who, who probably just need that opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And so today I want to give you that opportunity. You know, in the Bible it says that, that Jesus will come and he'll knock at the door of your heart. I mean, picture that, Jesus knocking at the door of our heart, and he says, anyone who would open that, that door and let me into their heart, I will come and I will dine with them, I will feast with them, I will live with them. This is the picture of Jesus coming into your life. And it happens in surrender, it happens in letting him, letting him in. He pursues us, he loves us, and then we receive him. And so if you wanna do that today, I wanna let you do that. There's power, there's power in the resurrection, in this story, that even when we doubt and even when we're disappointed and even when we think we, we are dead about certain things, God says, I'm not done with you yet. And he invites us deeper into a life with him. And so if you wanna give your life to Christ today, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. In fact, I want everybody to pray this with us. Even if you've prayed it before, I just want the whole room to pray this so we can join with those who are praying it for the first time. If you wanna, if you want to receive God's gift of salvation, if you want to receive Jesus in your life, if you want to change who you are and become a new creation in Christ Jesus, just pray this prayer. Say, say this, repeat after me, everybody in the room. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Say that one more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Say, I confess you are Lord. Say, I ask for forgiveness of my sins. And I thank you for sacrificing your son, Jesus. Thank you, God, for saving me. I commit my life to you. With your heads bowed, just keep your heads bowed. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. If you just prayed that for the first time, it's a big deal. We're excited for you. So thankful God is moving in your heart. Lord, we just pray for everything else that we've been praying for. We pray for everything that feels dead that we are asking you to breathe life into you. Would you start to breathe life into the situations and the people in this room that need a fresh burst of your resurrection power in the name of Jesus. We ask this, Holy Spirit, would you move in and through us. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to respond a little bit longer. Just got a few more minutes. But these altars are open. Our, we're going to sing this song, Miracle in the Works, because we believe that there's something God wants to do. He is not done. Our prayer team is here. We'd love to pray with you. Let's just stick it out for a few more minutes together as we celebrate Jesus today. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.